Thank you guys, good morning, great to uh, be with you, good to see some familiar faces and uh, get to know some uh, new faces and it's uh, a privilege to, uh, to be back here in the warmth. It was about, I think it was Travis, I think it was about 39 or something when we left Michigan this week and we got on a plane and then it was 28 and snowing. And uh, then some of you have the audacity to tell me that it's cold here. It's not cold. Come up north and you know what cold uh, truly is. But it's really good to be uh, what I would consider home again. Um, home is obviously where the heart is and where God leads you as a, as a follower of Jesus. But this is the place, this is the city where God uh, called me to from Europe. Um, I'm a Welshman married to a German, and our kids are basically messed up. They don't know where they're from. Um, and, uh, but this is the place where God uh, called me to, to be home, and I was privileged uh, to be a pastor at South Tampa Fellowship for, for, from 2008 until about 2014, and then God called me from Tampa to Michigan. And normally people do the, the journey in reverse. Uh, they go from kind of Michigan south. Um, but we did it the other way around. And, you know, for a long time, I, I kind of wondered um, how God led that way. And it's a beautiful story that when we were here, not too far from here, from, uh, you know, Blake High School and in the projects area, there was a, a family uh, that uh, was really struggling. And um, I, I went to work one day, and we had four kids, and I came home, and there were seven at home because there were, the, there were these kids that didn't have anywhere to stay. And we received a phone call saying, hey, there's a, a mother's lost a home in the project. She needs a, kind of a place to, uh, to have the kids for a week until she gets a new place. And, um, well, the week turned into three months, and uh, three months actually turned into years. And... Uh, one of the hard things about leaving Tampa was we had uh, a couple of the kids still living with us, and uh, it was now going through a foster system, and, uh, you know, the mom was trying to work a case plan. She wasn't doing it very well. And uh, one, of the, one of the challenges was just leaving Tampa, leaving the kids behind. They'd been with us then for about four years, and it's like, God, what are you doing? I knew he's leaving us to Michigan, but why? And what was the beautiful part of this story is that the, the mom never worked through the case plan. Her parental rights were terminated. And now all of those kids, nine kids, have all found homes in Holland, Michigan. They, they're kind of in the same small town. None of that would have been possible in this place. And, and I say to God, God, if the only reason you, you left me and you sent me from Tampa to Holland is that nine kids get a forever family, that's good enough for me, right? There, uh, there was just uh, a beautiful kind of connection uh, to that. And, and I thought, okay, God, that's it. But then uh, last fall, um, Travis, a member of my staff uh, who was on staff in Clearwater, in uh, Calvary in Clearwater, uh, he was crazy enough to leave the South too and come up north. Uh, him and Mitch go way back. And uh, then... Travis introduced me to Mitch, and over the last few months, we've just been saying, hey, how can we work together to, to see that what God wants to do in this part of Tampa actually happen? And that really is in fulfillment with the vision that God has given us. A number of years ago, Holland is a, is a small town, but our church is uh, just in our campus, runs about 3,000. Our network now is pushing over four and a half to five, and a uh, number of campuses. And what we try and do is just work alongside pastors, take what we do really well, and basically give that away. Um, and I think that that's really what God is calling the church to be about. Too many churches are basically about putting the, the face of the lead guy everywhere, 
And uh, what it needs to be is the name of Jesus going everywhere. And I think a lot, there's a lot of resources and a lot of power in big churches that if we would only look at our systems and say, how can we take these systems? And rather than beaming a pastor's name somewhere, what would it actually be like to take these systems and put the name of Jesus everywhere? What would that be like? And we started doing that. And, and God has just given this, this simple idea, kind of growth. And uh, that's led us to partner with you guys. And, and that's why we're here this weekend. So we're excited to see what God will do. There's obviously, and we all know there's going to be a lot of investment in this part of the city. And uh, we believe that God's going to do great things in Tampa. He's going to do great things here. A part of my heart is, is not too far away from here, obviously because of my own children. And uh, it's just going to be really great to, to be with you. And so what I want to do today is I want I want to give you a message that hopefully will encourage you, but also challenge you to embrace what God has. To embrace what God has for you, but also what God has for this church. And God wants you to know that you are great. You may look around here and you may see uh, so many needs. And you may look at yourselves here and you may think, we're so small, what can we do? God wants you to know that you're great. And so my text is from Matthew chapter 11. It's uh, a familiar passage to a number of you. And uh, so I want to read from Matthew 11, 1 through 11. This is the time where John the Baptist is in prison. And he basically wants to know what Jesus is doing. Because it's not kind of working out the way he thought it would. And so he sends some of his disciples to Jesus. And this is the story. It's Matthew 11, at 1 through 11. Let's read this. After Jesus had finished instructing his 12 disciples, he went on from there to teach and preach in the towns of Galilee. Now, that's interesting, right? In Mark's gospel and Luke's gospel, Jesus gathers the 12 together. He gives them all the authority, and then he sends them out. In Luke's gospel, they came back saying, Jesus, this is truly amazing. You've given us all of this authority, and guess what? Even the demons submit to us in your name. Right? It's, it's all about what they do and, and what God does through them. But in Matthew, in Matthew 10, he gathers them together, he gives them all of the instructions, and then he ends with Jesus going. You know what that tells us? The mission of every follower of Jesus is none other than the continuation of the ministry of Jesus himself. In Matthew, it's not the disciples that go, it's Jesus that keeps on going. And guess what? Jesus wants to keep on going, and how's he going to do it? He's going to do it through you. He's going to do it through me. So that's the context here. Okay, Jesus now goes and continues his ministry, and the disciples obviously continue theirs. They're both the same ministry. Now verse 2. When John, who was in prison, heard about the deeds of the Messiah, remember that, the deeds of the Messiah, He sent his disciples to ask him, are you the one who was to come, or should we expect someone else? Now, look at this. Basically, here's what this means. This means that John sent his disciples to Jesus, not because he doubted the identity of the Messiah. We just read the deeds of the Messiah. John sent his disciples to Jesus, not because he doubted the identity of the Messiah, so much as he questioned the agenda of the kingdom that Jesus was pursuing. Think about that. Why would the miracles of Jesus, his deeds, cause John to doubt? Why would they do that? There's something going on with this. Look at Jesus' response here. Jesus replied, Go back and report to John what you hear and see. 
The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, the good news is proclaimed to the poor. Blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. So John sends his disciples to Jesus because of what Jesus is doing. Jesus responds by saying, go back to John and tell him what I'm doing. And oh, by the way, John, it's really good if you don't stumble because of what I'm doing. What's going on here? What, what, what is all of this about? To understand this, what we need to do is we need to actually go back to Luke chapter 4, which if you are here for the start of the service, and I know it's daylight savings hour, and you're, you know, a number of you, you know, come later, but you may have missed it, but uh, Mitch actually read from Luke chapter 4. Luke chapter 4 is the agenda of the kingdom. Now, I'm suggesting to you that John didn't send his disciples to Jesus because he doubted Jesus' identity. John sent his disciples to Jesus because he couldn't get his head around God's agenda. So, what's the agenda? If you've got a Bible, Luke chapter 4, Luke 4. And uh, what I want to do is just look at a couple of verses here in Luke 4 as we look at this kingdom agenda. It's Luke 4, 18 and 19. And this is what we read. This is the kingdom agenda. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind. To set the oppressed free to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. That's the agenda. The agenda. What is it? It's basically about proclamation. The agenda is about healing. The agenda is about freedom. Where was John? Where was he? In prison. Go back to Matthew 11. Have a look at what Jesus says he's doing. And then have a look at what he says to John's disciples, he's not doing. In Matthew 11, he says, hey, do you know what I'm doing? John, I'm healing people. You know what I'm doing, John? I'm proclaiming the good news of the gospel. (coughs) Tell him that. But John knows what Jesus isn't doing. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, the good news is proclaimed to the poor, but there's only one problem, something is missing. What's missing? Freedom. Where was John? In prison. Now, here's what makes this so amazing. You see, John was the first person the first follower of Jesus, but not the last, to realize that sometimes what Jesus does for other people, he doesn't do for me. You with me on this? How does that make you feel? Somebody comes in, you've been praying about something for a long time. The other week I had a, a couple, they had been praying for a long time that they would get pregnant. They're in a small group, been praying for it. Over and over again. And then somebody in that small group comes in and says, hey, I'm pregnant. Oh, the disappointment was in her heart. Why is it, she says, that Jesus does for other people sometimes things that he doesn't do for me? Have you ever had that experience? It's one of the hard things about God's agenda, isn't it? See, John did not doubt the identity of the Messiah. You know why? Because twice in his ministry, who Jesus was, was revealed to him supernaturally through the Holy Spirit. 
The first time is the scene out of Hollywood movie. Elizabeth, John's mother, is pregnant. Mary, the mother of Jesus, is pregnant. Mary has to get out of town. Why, does, do, why do you think Mary has to get out of town? Because she's an unwed woman. That's why. She has to get out of town. She has to get out of town because she could have been killed. During this period, Joseph is trying to figure out what he's supposed to do. Mary told Joseph. Mary goes to Elizabeth. Elizabeth comes to greet Mary. What does Elizabeth say? The baby, you're pregnant, aren't you? Because the baby in my womb leapt for joy. Why? How, How do we know who Jesus is? How do we see who Jesus is? It's not through our own eyes. It's through the Spirit who gives us the eyes to see. That's why Paul prays. I pray that the eyes of your heart would be opened to understand. John, the first time he recognized Jesus, did it before he could see him with his own eyes through the Holy Spirit. The second time was shortly before Luke 4. John is baptizing people in the Jordan River. And then he sees Jesus coming down. Now people say, well, of course, he kind of knew who... (laughs) who, um, Jesus was because they were cousins, right? Well, the problem with that was they wouldn't have seen one another. John went off into the wilderness and Jesus went his way. They wouldn't have seen one another. And as Jesus is coming down towards the Jordan, John basically looks and says, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. I baptize you with water, but here there is one coming after me who will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. Twice in John's ministry, he supernaturally, through the Holy Spirit, understood who Jesus was. What does this tell us? It tells us that it is possible for us to get to such a stage in life where we can be so disappointed with the agenda that God is pursuing through our lives that even though we have understood who Jesus is supernaturally through the Holy Spirit, we can become so disappointed that Jesus needs to say to us, as he did to John's disciples, blessed are those who do not stumble on account of me. For God's greatness to come in this city, one of the things that Christians have to work through is simply this. Sometimes Jesus' agenda for our lives And our agenda for our lives don't match up. Sometimes dealing with disappointment in a way that doesn't force us to step back, but actually causes us to push through, sometimes that is the most powerful thing that we can do to amplify the hope and life of Jesus. Let me ask you, how are you dealing with the disappointing things that God hasn't done. Oh, you know who Jesus is. And you would never go as far as to say that you don't believe in Jesus. But you may go as far as to be disappointed with what Jesus is doing. This is why verse 6 is so important. Blessed is the one who does not stumble on account of me. I think this is one of the biggest issues. Artie Kendall and a number of authors talk about the betrayal barrier. It's this feeling that we get when we follow God that sometimes something that is so important to us goes so wrong and we feel betrayed. 
right? And what do we do in that moment? And this is where John deserves all the credit in the world. You know what John does? He runs to Jesus with it. He sends his disciples. He can't go himself. So what does he do? He sends his proxy. He sends his disciples where his disciples are in that context. That's where Jesus, uh, John is. But what do we do with our betrayal? All too often with our betrayal, we take a step back. We don't push through. Let me encourage you. If you're here disappointed with God, dealing with your disappointment is quite possibly one of the biggest things that you can do to amplify the hope and life of Jesus right now. That you say, you know what? I will say that he is Lord even though I am so disappointed with the agenda that God is pursuing in my life. And you know what happens when, when people do that? Suddenly they become great in the kingdom. They become spiritual greats. I love what happens in the, in the rest of this text. Go back to Matthew chapter 11. And uh, in Matthew 11, when you look at the text, what we discover is that John's disciples turn away and uh, they, they go away, verse 7. And, and then we read this marvelous interchange between Jesus and the crowds because the crowds were, were really looking at this. And this is what we read. As John's disciples were leaving, Jesus began to speak to the crowd about John. Oh, what's he going to say? What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed swayed by the wind? If not, what did you go out to see? A man dressed in fine clothes? No, those who wear fine clothes are in king's palaces. Then what did you go out to see? It's talking about that time when John was baptizing in the wilderness. A prophet? Yes, and I tell you more than a prophet. This is the one about whom it is written, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way before you. Truly, I tell you, among those born of, a, of women, there has not risen anyone greater than John the Baptist. And here it is. Yet, whoever is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. So here's this interchange where John is doubting the agenda of Jesus and the crowds are listening to it. The crowds are hearing it. Jesus answers by saying, John, I know what you want and know what you need, but that's not the will of my Father for your life. The disciples of John are returning and then Jesus turns to the crowd and says, let me tell you about John. Even though you know that he is struggling right now, I want to tell you, he is a spiritual great let me ask you, have you ever been in the presence of greatness? Have you ever been in the presence of greatness? This guy, for me, is a spiritual great. This is uh, Les Isaac. He is an Antiguan from the West Indies. And uh, he basically came to Christ. He was a Rastafarian growing up, and he came to Christ. And I just tell a story, and it's up to you to do the theology on it. He came to Christ because he was basically at home, and Jesus appeared to him in his home in the West Indies. He left the West Indies, moved into London, and he was pastoring a very large uh, African uh, church in London. Now, I'm a Welshman in Wales. The pastor that I, I had growing up was a Scots guy by the name of Tom. Tom said to me as a 15-year-old boy, Great God, God's got his hand on your life, and I basically want you to give up your entire summer, and I want you to go to London to be in Leslie's church. The only problem with that was I was the only white guy in his church. And if you spend any time around me, there's nothing wrong with that, right? I, I, that's the first time in Wales, racial diversity just wasn't there. 
But more than that, if you spend any time around me, I, I'm not that expressive in worship, okay? I'm, I'm just not. I'm one of those introverts when it comes to it. I kind of sit there, and sometimes I don't even like singing because I just like to listen to everybody else singing. Does, does that ever happen to you? Uh, have you ever been not singing? Someone come to you and say, oh, you didn't like the music, you weren't singing. No, you know what, folks? Let me let you into a secret. Sometimes introverts just like to listen, Right? <laughs> It doesn't mean we don't like it. We just like to listen. Well, can you imagine when they did the offering? It took them 25 minutes to do the offering because they would dance their way down doing it. And I'm like, oh, Lord, I'm completely out of my comfort zone here. This, is, this just so isn't me. But Les, for some reason, just and like with Tom, they, they just basically invested in me over and over again. And, and Les always was just one of these spiritual greats. But... Les saw something happening in London. He saw violent crime, gun crime, knife attacks happening around that time when clubs, nightclubs would close. And so he sought God and he said, God, what do you want me to do about this? And he said, Les, take the church to the street. And so Les started something called Street Pastors, now around the world. And so one Friday night, the first night of Street Pastors, 18 people, 12, uh, 12 men, three women, three people praying in his church went onto the streets and just basically went to pass through the streets at the most difficult time of the night. This movement grew, and now there are about 15,000 street pastors in 270 towns and cities in the United Kingdom that are basically being shepherded by these street pastors. This is such a movement that has reduced reduced crime and violent crime on the streets that Les Isaacs was actually awarded the OBE by the Queen, the Order of the British Empire, for making a tangible difference by taking the church to the street. Remember a couple of years ago, or any of you remember, the Ariana Grande was doing the concert in Manchester? Remember that? Whose pastors do you think were sent in there? Les's. The British government now call his ministry the Fourth Emergency Service. Grenfell Tower? Remember that? Burning Tower, all those people. Whose pastors do you think? Who was sent in on the front lines of suffering? Les is pastors. Response pastors. Les is a spiritual great in my eyes. And the amazing thing with Les and with his greatness is the fact that Les has never performed a miracle. He, he's never done other, anything other than seek ways of bending down and cleaning up the vomit of people on the side of the street. He's never done anything other than kind of stand into a, stand and wade into a conflict that could have got violent. Les is a spiritual great. Let me ask you, have you ever been in the presence of greatness? If you have, you know what it feels like, right? When you're in the presence of a person like that, you just long, you just long to just have an ounce of the anointing that they've got. Les is one of those guys for me. I remember growing up saying, God, I don't know what you're going to do in my life. I don't know where you're going to call me. I don't know where you're going to lead me. But what I want is just a fraction of the anointing that is on Les's life. 
just a couple of weeks ago, I was privileged to fly back into the UK from a, a trip out into Eastern Europe, and uh, I managed to catch up with Les again. And, and God is just doing, still doing an unbelievable work through him. They're now calling him the Apostle of the City. And all he tried to do was to take the name of Jesus to the streets at a time when Christians would rather be off it. Greatness does that. It just brings you to a point of saying, God, if only I could do a little bit of what less of what this great person has done. But what's amazing with this is that according to Jesus, John is the spiritual great, but this greatness in the kingdom doesn't require miracles. I hope you get the play on words here. We can can canonization. In certain parts of the church, in certain segments of the church, to be a spiritual great, to be canonized, actually means that it has to be authenticated that you have performed wonders, miracles. And the consequence of that is, many of us think that we will never be as great as the real greats. But if you dig into what Jesus is saying about John, what we realize is we can can canonization. And, and this is why. Look, John 10, 42-42. Then Jesus went back across the Jordan to the place where John had been baptizing in the early days. There he stayed and many people came to him. They said, though John never performed a sign. Do you see that? I tell you, Jesus says, of all of the men born of a woman, there is no one greater than John. Think about that. Greater than David. Greater than Abraham. Greater than Moses. Greater than all of the prophets of the entire New Testament is John. And yet John never performed a sign. Why is he so great then? All that John said about this man was true. That's why he's great. Everything he said about Jesus was true. You see, for Jesus, greatness in the kingdom is not dependent upon wonders for Jesus, but witness to Jesus. And sometimes the greatest witness the child of God can make is to stand firm and to press through when the agenda of Jesus for us disappoints. I want to unpack this a little bit more. Jesus says, listen, of all of the men, of all of the people, born of a woman, none is greater than John. Yet, he says, I tell you this, even the least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. Now, if you're familiar with the, the Gospel of Matthew in any of the Gospels, you realize that the least in the kingdom actually refers to people like you and me. We're the least. So, John is the greatest person ever born to a woman, and yet you and I are greater than John. How does that work? Well, for the contrast to work, we have to basically stick to what Jesus is saying. This is kind of the point. 
John is the greatest. John's greatness owes itself to what we call his position in salvation history, where he stood in proximity to Jesus. John was greater than David, even though his psalms and his prophetic insight about who this Messiah would be is simply unbelievable. It's incredible. John is greater than David because unlike David, John could say, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. John is greater than Moses. Moses' prayer in Numbers chapter 11 After Joshua had gone in a little half because a couple of the elders hadn't gone outside of the camp and God had decided to anoint these people with the Spirit as well as those who were obedient, Moses turns to Joshua and says, Joshua, are you jealous for my sake? Oh, that all of God's people would prophesy. Moses pointed towards Jesus with incredible clarity and yet John could do so personally. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Why John was so great is he could point out Jesus more clearly than any of the greats before him. Yet, Jesus says, those who are in the kingdom are greater than he. So John's greatness isn't dependent upon his miracles, but his witness. All he said about Jesus was true position in salvation history. He can point to Jesus more clearly than anyone else. This has to apply to you and me. The least. The least. What makes us so great in Jesus' eyes is because we know how the story ends. John didn't. John just knew that this was the Lamb of God who had taken away the sins of the world. He died before he saw the fulfillment of it. But you and I, we know how the story ends. We get to celebrate how the story ends. We get to champion how the story ends. That Jesus would go to a cross. He would be buried. Then after three days he would rise. And then he would appear over a period of time to his disciples. And then he would ascend to the Father. And because he's ascended to the Father, because he goes up, the Holy Spirit comes down. And when the Holy Spirit comes down and and comes upon his people, what happens? In Acts chapter 2, his people go out. When the Spirit comes down, the people go out. We know how the story ends. What that basically means is we are great simply because we can point in clarity to Jesus in a way that John never you want to be a spiritual great it's not so much about what you do it it actually begins with being content with what God is doing for you in you, through you believing that God's got a plan and a purpose for your life even when, when it may not feel like it it actually continues as we recognize why we've been saved in the first place we've been saved to serve and the greatest call on the church, and this is what we say, and we've said it, I said it in Tampa, I said it in, uh, in Holland, Michigan, the success of the church is not driven by how many people we seek, but by how many people we send. It is the sending capacity of the church that drives the church's greatness, not its seeding capacity. It is whether the the people in a local church recognize why God has placed them in this world in the first place. It's to go out and tell people 
about the wonder-working, life-transforming power of Jesus. It's telling people, you know what? He is Lord. And He will do what He has said He will do. And what I rejoice in with this partnership with all of you is that we get the chance to to do that together. Our network is essentially a a family of kingdom-minded. That word kingdom-minded, what does that mean? It means recognizing that God's agenda isn't always ours. It means recognizing that sometimes God is going to do for other people what he doesn't do for me and being okay with that even though it's tough. It actually means allowing God to do what God wants to do and not stepping back when it's hard but actually pushing through and working together to see God work in other people. That's what it is. Missionally motivated, recognizing that the reason that we exist in this world, the reason that Jesus has left this church, is that we go and continue the mission of Jesus in the world. Our hope in this partnership is that Redeemer City, as as this city grows around you, will actually have the light of Jesus right here. That means when churches go off the street, Redeemer City Church goes in it. You're not afraid to step in, to push through, to step out, because you realize greatness in the kingdom of God is about stepping out and sharing Jesus. Greatness is about making sure that everything we say about Jesus is true. Let that be true for you. Let that be true for us all. Let's go to God in prayer, shall we? Let's pray together. In a moment, we're going to sing that song again. He is Lord. And for some of us here, that may be a difficult song to sing. You know He is Lord, but in your experience, you may be disappointed with the agenda that God is pursuing in your life. And so what I want to do right now is I want to give you a moment just to do business with God yourself. To kind of think through, am I happy with the agenda that Jesus is pursuing in my own life? Is this something in my life that I'm disappointed with? And that that disappointment is actually causing me to stay where I am rather than press on through. And as we sing this song, the words in this song, I want this song to be your commitment to say, God, you know what? I'm going to press on through. The church, as we press on through, then God will do what He says. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the greatness of Jesus. We thank you that you have given Jesus the name that is above every name. And the scriptures declare that one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. One day, everyone will do this. But Father, today, we get the opportunity to do that voluntarily. We get the opportunity voluntarily to just bow the knee, to just press on through and say, God, I may struggle with what you're doing in my life sometimes, and what you're doing in my world. But I confess that you are Lord. And Father, I pray that this response in our hearts would just reveal to us that there will come a time When the people that we know, the people that we love, will see the greatness of Jesus for themselves, either when he comes again or or when they meet him in glory. 
called to give an account. And in that moment, they will need to bow the knee involuntarily. Dead, they will confess that He is Lord. But either way, Father, we will confess with our mouths that Jesus is Lord. Help us to do that right now. Help us to do that despite our pain, despite our disappointment. Help us to do that with a full revelation of what it is that you've called your church to do. And may we confess that Jesus Christ is Lord for the glory of God the Father. In Jesus' name.